Hey guys, it's Tony. I'm here to talk to you about Awaken Conference. Now, Awaken is a young adult gathering in Charlotte, North Carolina from January 31st to February 2nd, 2020. And it's meant to help you recharge your spiritual life and connect with a community that you can grow your faith alongside. Now, this year's presenters include a killer lineup with Caleb Isley of Humans of Adventism and, of course, a friend of the podcast. He's been on a few episodes. Kim Cove, a licensed counselor, and Randy Ban, the creative producer at Nike World Headquarters. The keynotes will be brought by Ben Lundquist of the Rise and Lead podcast, uh, a good friend of mine and an amazing speaker. Trust me, guys, you will not want to miss out. And Absurdity will be there. So me and Becker, uh, you get, get to see us if you come out. Uh, would love to come and talk to you. We absolutely think that this is something you're going to want to come and see. Speaking of, if you enter the code Absurdity at awakennc.com, that's Absurdity, A-B-S-U-R-D-I-T-Y, at awakennc.com, you're going to get a 10% discount. We'd love to see you there. This is absolutely something that we support, and we think that Awaken is a part of the growing church movement that we want to see moving forward. Once again, if you enter code absurdity at awakennc.com, you'll get a 10% discount off the initial price. Love to see you guys there. Hey everyone, welcome back to Absurdity, where we explore all things absurd in religion, culture, and society. Uh, and today we're heavy on the culture and society part. Um, not so heavy on the religion part, at least not as heavy yeah. as we normally are. And I'm honestly... I'm emphasizing a bit. Yeah, exactly. And it's not that, you know, we're both religious, and definitely there's that viewpoint in this. But no, today is... Today is purely social commentary, basically, and I'm okay with this. Pretty much. It's, it's um, and I, I do apologize. We live in society. Yeah. So No, we don't. We are in the world, not of the world, Well, I Tony. live on Mars, but <laughs> I might as well live on Mars. It's kind of the bubble that Barian Springs is. You are not wrong. As someone who was literally just up there, I agree with you 100%. Yeah. So. Yeah. Okay, so a couple weeks ago, this comes out that that Shane Gillis is uh, is hired on as well as a is it one or two Asian Americans onto SNL? I think it was one. There were three there, people uh, hired, including one, Shane. One, I think there was an Asian hired, uh, and then one was promoted from a writer to a cast member. Okay, yes, that's what it is. So we um. So yeah, this this story breaks of of Shane getting not hired, but then um, four days later, getting fired from SNL because someone managed to uh, dig through his past, his his heavily colored past as a comedian um, that no one had heard of prior to this. Apparently, I've never heard the I've never heard of Shane Gillis prior to any of this news. I've only heard of like two cast members from SNL before SNL. And hired Keenan them. is both of them. They they. They do, <laughs> they do, they do a pretty good job of. If I could just get English working, um, of of picking out, you know, kind of not underground comedians per se, but like people who are on the rise. They do a pretty good job of that. Yeah, no, they do. They comb so and search. Well, and this is the thing: they comb and they search, but they missed this apparently. So people, people went through, dug through his Which past, is, yeah. mm -hmm. his his very colored past as a comedian, and found all the way back in May of this year. 
a long, long time ago, in a month, five months away, uh, they found uh, basically uh, an episode of his podcast that he hosts with a friend of his, where he said some very, very racially charged and insensitive things toward um, toward Asians, towards specifically Chinese, and uh, it was in a kind of greater discussion about Chinatown. Japanese, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's a little bit in Korea. Yeah, so yeah. we... that. That clip will be linked in the show notes. We're not going to play it here. And warning for you, there's like a there's an expletive like every other word. So probably don't want to play this with kids yeah. in, um, kids in the car. Granted, uh, honestly, or anyone over the age of fifty. Yeah, uh, yeah, under the age of fifty. You mean? I don't know. No, over. over okay, fair the age enough. Of 50. Yeah, babies, babies, and old. Yes, people. I'm okay with that. Not that fifty's old, but that you know yeah. what I'm saying. Well. The <laughs> babies and the elderly. Um, th- neither of those two groups were when I were there when I saw Joker. Instead, it was a bunch of parents with all of their little children under twelve. Why would oh, there was literally like ten to fifteen kids in that theater? Can we tangent about that now? Can we tangent about that now? I hate, I hate being in a movie that I'm dubious about seeing and seeing someone bring a a child that clearly is not meant to be there. Yep, I'm like I'm watching. I'm watching a new Joker being built in front of me. Like, thank you. Thank you for that. I now have to live in a society with this little screwed up person. And, and I, I feel for the kid. Cause I'm like, they're going to have to go to therapy for that. hundred percent. Yeah. Like no, you don't that's... walk away. You don't walk away from, you know, and, and I will mention the, you know, the types of films I've seen, but I've walked into some pretty gruesome films. I, I, I give one that's not that bad, but, uh, uh, the, uh, what was the one with Dan, uh, Denzel Washington a couple of years ago? Is it the? It not, was, uh, uh, the it, it's not his like Punisher movies, right? I forget what they're called, but it wasn't that one, was it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That oh, it one. is that one. Okay, yeah, it was the one where he's like an ex CIA yeah, guy. Okay, I forget what it's called. Like I, I watched the one in theaters, The Equalizer. Equalizer yeah. I watched The Equalizer. A brutal movie. Um, and there are kids in there. There were kids in there. Like I almost said something. I literally was like, you know what? I, it's going to cause too much of an issue. The movie's already started. No, my- but literally, if I had noticed it before the film started, I would have walked up to them and been like, hi, you, you really should not have your child here. Oh, you would have been that guy? Like, as someone who understands a, a little bit of therapy and a little bit of psychology, your kid really should not be here. You're gonna do like permanent damage to them. Yeah, no, my my favorite um, thing was was right after Deadpool when all the parents were on Twitter like, ah, how could oh, you release a movie like this? I brought my kids and they were traumatized. And I'm like, it was rated R. And literally, if you had spent five seconds on Google, all, you would have known. Thank you. You would have known. All F, that's the whole. Well, and, and beyond that, like that was the marketing they had for it. Yeah, the, the marketing entire marketing for, it was, for that movie. It's a rated R, right? Like, like like uh, yeah, yeah why well, did the same thing like andrew and i went to see uh um implicating him now uh we went to see not wolverine logan but the final one um logan we went to see logan and the same yep. thing i think it was like five six-year-olds in there and i'm like what did you like what first of all what about the x-men series tells you oh yeah let's take a six-year-old to that none of those movies were okay and then beyond that like are you kidding me Everyone knows it's rated R. It's going to be gritty. It's going to be dark. Like that's. Now, did you not pay Joker attention at all? Joker is the darkest movie I've probably I feel like I've ever seen. Uh, I'm I. 
I I've specifically not recommended it to people. Yeah, already. it's it is a. I've told people like no. Uh, it is it is so, for a specific yeah. type of person, like well, not even type of person, it, but someone who is really interested in like character studies and film as a whole, like as a conceptual artwork, yeah. instead of like oh I love the Joker, I want to go see this movie. Yeah, it's it's it is way more apocalypse now than comic yeah that movie is not about the joker that movie is about a man descending into madness yeah it's a fantastically made film but if you if you didn't enjoy or have not seen taxi driver do not watch joker (laughs) for your own sake so now that that tangent is Um, done we should we should segue back into this but and i was about to say the funny thing is i was about to say like (laughs) this was the the fastest we'd ever transition to a topic like we did it and like then in we second compl- and then i ruined it and then we just yep, i ruined right. it i i helped. um the we did it together becker we're partners okay so sh- <laughs> so shane gillis gets um the, these Life these these comments from his podcast go viral people call it call him out for it um he also made yeah. a statement or made some comment about andrew yang who's a presidential mm-hmm. candidate right now and yep. um, pretty much Lorne Michaels, the producer of, of SNL, comes out and basically says, like, hey, we were not aware of these comments when we hired him. If we had known, we would never have. We've, our vetting process failed. We're sorry. He's, we've, we've talked to him, and he will no longer be on the show. That's essentially what the statement was. And then uh, Shane Gillis comes out, and he, sa- and he has a statement uh, to which now, I will... Now- Keep in mind that Lauren Lauren said this after there was backlash. It wasn't like he he caught it and made it aware. Like people were aware of this. No, it people was on the internet. People it were responding to SNL's to it. attention. Then yeah, then Lauren came and made that statement. So I just want to get the timeline kind of so people understand. Yeah, and and that's why I think it's funny. Like they if they're combing for talent, like I think they did know. I I genuinely think yeah, SNL yeah. knew. I mean, maybe they didn't listen to that specific see, episode, see, but people is, are pulling out other things that he said. Yeah, see, that's my thing. Is I th- what I think happened was they have people because because Philadelphia is not a huge comedy scene. So what I think happened was they have people in those areas that and and this is just conjecture, by the way. This is not a factual statement. I think that they have people in those areas that kind of keep tabs on the stand-up scene and just say, "Hey, who's kind of blowing up?" Uh, then they go to a couple shows and they hear the material and they go, hey, uh, this guy's worth looking into. And they kind of look into it and see, oh, OK, he's not whatever. And then they pick them up. I don't think that they did in-depth research into it. Yeah. I think that that's what eh, it, I think. Maybe. Like someone, I, I still think someone knew. It could be. It could be that they did. It totally could be that they did. But to me, it's like, all right, if you have someone who's blowing up in, in one of the more traditional uh, you know, stand-up cities. I think you ha- you tend to have a lot more information about them, but yeah, you could totally be right. Where it's it's a uh, kind of an IHOB situation. Yeah, you know what I mean, it's like, oh, we're now the International House of Burgers. What? That's stupid. Just kidding. That was we have fired the social media guy. Like it's like okay, sure. Like oh, we're totally going to do this. Everyone hates it. Just kidding. Yeah, that's yes. Well, and and this is this is interesting because. This has put a spotlight back on an area that people really don't know how to navigate. And um, I'm not saying we do, but basically it's what are comedians allowed to get away with? Because by nature, comedians will always push the boundary, right? Um, and here, but the the thing is, and this is, this is the problem with, with Shane. 
um, and his comments. The problem is his comments were not part of a well-crafted bit about uh, that was a that was geared towards social commentary and trying to play on some weird irony or stereotype or reality in order to convey some bigger point, which is what a lot of comedy does. You want the darkest humor ever that makes a that makes a point? Go look up Anthony Jeselnik's um, stand-up special on Netflix. Um, the this is, I mean, that that is like the perfect example of someone who's doing that. And you yeah. may not like the off-color humor. It's very dark. Humor, yeah. fair enough. But that's someone who does that. Whereas this is this is literally comments. But you can you can at least ad- admit that it's crafted. Yeah. Well. Like it's intentional. That, that's the thing. Like you know, Daniel Tosh does the same thing. Where it's you know it's in these outrageous uh, outland outlandish outrageous statements, but it's for a purpose and it's and it's distinct. yeah. To some extent, comedians when they're doing a stand-up show are in character. To some extent, um, yeah. Yeah. Improvisational, but still in character. Whereas Shane on his podcast is being Shane. Like the podcast bears his name and he's and just saying, yeah. like he's just speaking his mind. And that's the problem. It wasn't a well crafted social commentary. To, yeah, more episodes. If you listen to some of the episodes, like it's clear that this is kind of, you know, him doing a humoral, humorous take, but on real life. Like this is him being funny about things he really thinks. Um, and that, and that's, you know what I mean? Like that's, that's the big deal. So I, I would even say it's not even like Twitter where I, I'll even admit I have a very distinct voice that I've tried to craft on Twitter. Um, it's just kind of snarky, you know, sarcastic, like, bah, ha, ha, ha. Um, and I, and I try to have moments where I'm very genuine with it, but I try to keep those very not far and few in between, but at least significant enough that people can understand the yeah. difference. You know what I mean? So it's not all genuine, you know, it's not all kitten stories and people hugging each other. Like every once in a while, you know, like, hey, that's it's nice that, but it's more like, hey, come on, seriously, for real. La, 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 la. So I get that. And I'll even say like, this isn't even like he put some stuff on Twitter. I'll even go so far. Like, this is something that clearly he had time to express himself. Yeah. And this is what, this is, this is, this is genuinely what he thinks. And this is the best and, he could come up with. here's the. And here's kind of the, the, the proof of that, right? So, so he gets fired, and of course he issues a statement. And the statement is literally just a screenshot of the Notes app on his iPhone. Um, and on September 16, he tweets out if he, a picture of, of, the, of the Notes app. He says, it feels ridiculous for comedians to be making serious public statements, but here we are. I'm a comedian who was funny enough to get SNL. That can't be taken away. Of course, I wanted an, of course I wanted an opportunity to prove myself at SNL, but I understand it would be too much of a distraction. I respect the decision they made. I'm honestly grateful for the opportunity. I was always a mad TV guy anyway. Dude doesn't even apologize. It's it's like, he's like, I was funny oh, yeah, enough for this. I deserved this. Just so we're all clear. I deserved this job. And it's you, you, took you it all took it me. away from me. And it's your fault for putting a comedian in a, for like not understanding that this is what comedy is. Like he doesn't actually yeah. see you're the problem. St- you're stupid people. Well, yeah. And then his other statements, I mean, are of the same like oh well you know i'm here to push boundaries it's it's the standard non-apology i mean we've talked about it i mean how many times even in our recent shows how many times have we talked about it um and it's the standard non-apology of you know i'm a comedian i push boundaries i was just uh, joking man you know that's what I'm, that's what i'm meant to do like if you can't understand that then i get you know like oh well like you know it was never my intention to you know, really hurt people. It was just, you know, me pushing boundaries. And I'm like, no, 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 no. A, that absolutely was your intention. I have listened to what you said. That's your point. 
and B, and this is a significant thing for me in this situation. Now, I will say Andrew Yang's comment, uh, his his reply will will temper this a little bit. But I always fall back on an interview George Carlin gave a while ago. George Carlin is an old comedian, by the way, a very provocative comedian. It's not like he's a like you know, ironically Bill Cosby kind of doing clean humor. He was very provocative. Extremely provocative. One of his most famous bits is the eight words you can't say on television or something yeah. like that. And it's all curse words. And he just like says them repeatedly over and over, talks about why you can't say them. Um, it's very funny. It's very poignant. But he was a controversial comedian. He's talking about another comedian that was very controversial, homophobic, uh, uh, anti, uh, you know, uh, uh, sorry, um, I'm trying to say misogynistic. There we go. Um, anti immigrants, you know constantly pushing down on minorities and he's talking about like well you know comedy the reason why people are reacting in a negative way is because comedy is traditionally used to punch up it's used to poke fun at those who are in authority who do have a majority and say hey come on this you know you can do better um when it's punching down it doesn't come across that way it comes across as, as bullying and and being um oppressive yeah. And he goes, now you have every right to say what you want to say, but it's amazing. And he even talks about this particular comedian. He goes, you know, it's, what's interesting is he's Jewish. And he goes, the people that, that laugh at his comedy, Jews are not that far up the line. You know, you have, you know, like gays and minorities and women. And then right up there, you know, pretty soon you're, you're, you know, you're hitting Jews not too far up that list. And it makes just a really excellent point, which is comedy should be used not as an oppression, but as a statement. And when you, as a, you know, someone who's in a, a position of privilege, Shingles is a white cis male. When you use that to make fun of a minority, you have to, A, be very careful how you do it, which he was not. And B, you have to understand that it's going to come across as oppressive, not as funny. You're not coming across as you're on their side. Yeah. Um, and it's, and this, what's interesting to me is that it's not like this was the only thing he did. There was a, an article on Vulture, and uh, one of the, a statement is made by a comedian who works in Philadelphia, and, and they said, you know, it was so, it was kind of hurtful being, you know, a gay woman in that area because he's misogynistic and homophobic. So it's very, you know, it, it just, it, it didn't, you know, I hate to use the word feel safe, but it's like, it's hard to feel like you're a part of anything when he's the one that's blowing up, regardless of whether it's funny. Like that's, I'm the butt of your jokes and I'm working the same circuit as you. That's, that's hard to do. Well, and, and so that's the like, point. Here's the thing. This, this whole thing has launched Shane Gillis's career after this dude's already going to dude has oh, yeah. already announced that he's headlining a show, um, in Philly soon at the end of October. Yeah. So it's like, I mean, dude's career was launched anyway. It, um, but I agree yeah. with you that Andrew Yang's comments i think temper this i just think that and and just from a personal perspective as much as i don't like to talk about candidates that i like or dislike and and i don't know a whole lot about andrew yang completely um but i do like that he's actually willing to disagree with the crowd on this one um andrew yang has been very much like kind of the the person the candidate for the normal people so to speak one of his most attractive qualities is that he isn't a typical politician and so for him to be willing to kind of say something that is not in direct agreement with the mob, so to speak. Um, is, Particularly the young, yes. 
Um, that's you know woke that, mob. that does speak highly of his character and integrity. I think. But this is what he said. I'm going to read it. I'm just going to read his statement completely. Yeah, read it. Said, I've experienced a lot of anti-Asian racism throughout my upbringing, and it hurts. It's something that is very real, and I do think anti-Asian racial epithets are not taken as seriously as slurs against other groups. But at the same time, bigger picture, I believe that our country has become excessively punitive and vindictive about remarks that people find offensive or racist, and that we need to try to move beyond that if we can particularly in a case where the person is, in this case to me, like a comedian whose words should be taken in a slightly different light. Um, this, normally I'd say, yes, if this was a stand-up special and people were just upset about it, but this isn't. This is something he said at, yeah. as himself, and he hasn't even admitted they were wrong. So, like, I agree with this overall that I do think, and this is going to be kind of the theme of the rest of the episode, that we have the risk of being too punitive and vindictive about the way we handle things. Um, yeah, that's, that's really yeah, where... I think, yeah, this I, wasn't, I, completely I, I think this wasn't the time to say that. Um, I think this, this specific scenario wasn't the, wasn't the scenario, wasn't it? This ain't, this ain't it, fam. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's how I specifically feel. Now, however, I'm not going to, like... And this is this is this is something interesting because like he is an Asian American saying saying um, basically nah, I don't think the dude should have been fired over it. Whereas someone else, um, or not even someone else, most other Asian Americans that have chimed in on this, as far as celebrities are concerned, uh, have said this is a good thing that he's been fired. And so it's like, and 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 they go even further to say you know. How dare SNL not even, you know, yeah. catch this? Like, I've seen a lot of, 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 so I don't, you know, I mean, I mean, there's no, why would, I, yeah, why would you even consider this? It's kind weird. Of person I agree yet? with Andrew Yang. I just think this was the wrong time to, I think this was the wrong situation to do it, even though I get like it was about, it involved him. And I am glad. And, and ultimately, though, here's this I think this was a wise move from him, even if I disagree with it about this specific situation, because if he had said anything, this could have been another one of like um, another one of the instances where Trump during his campaign run was basically inciting violence against people at his rallies. Right. This idea of if he, you know, if he, if he just eggs the mob on. Um, so yeah. I think he was caught between a rock and a hard place here. And I think he did choose the higher road. So. Well, and I, and, and I think see, I, what I like about what Andrew Yang said, and I'm, again, I'm not endorsing him. As a candidate, whatever. I just his response. What I liked about it was the fact that he went from the specific instance to a general principle and said, "You know what? Yes, this guy said some things that were wrong and hurtful, but we need we can do so much more if we if we're a, become a forgiving culture." And to me, I look at you know people who hold very old fashioned and uh, shall we say, uh, hateful views of people. Um, th I think a big fear that they have of that, that keeps them from being able to learn how to be better is the fact that there is so much backlash. So instead they react defensively and say, well, you know, you can't say anything anymore. You know, if there was much more 
like what Andrew Yang is talking about with this forgiveness of, hey, you know what? If we, if we, those people, hey, we're going to tell you that this is not okay. And we're going to say, hey, you, you just, this is why you can't say this yeah. anymore. But we're going to, you know, we're not, there, there's not going to be any, you know, damages. We're not going to punish you for saying it, but it, yeah. don't say this anymore. This is learn the new way. This was hurtful back then. Um, and I think that uh, because a perfect for instance of this is there's an interview with, and I don't know if I'm um, getting too far forward here, but there's an interview David Spade did on his show with two white male comedians, white cis male comedians, uh, who are known for being, you know, outlandish and saying very offensive things, and they come on and, and completely defend Shane Gillis. And and to me, it's a perfect example of that, of when this guy gets fired, well, of course, these two guys who say hurtful, mean, you know, offensive things, even if it is for a purpose, of course, they're going to get defensive and say, no, nah, you shouldn't have gotten fired. This is ridiculous. You people are being ridiculous because they don't say you people, but, you know, it felt very you people No, I mean, it was millennials that they um, were attacking. Yeah. Yeah. And and to me, it it was this idea of, oh, you, you just keep getting hurt. You don't understand. It's like, no, 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 no. This is a reaction to people who are, they fear that if they don't push back like this, they're going to be next. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and, and there, there's, no, there's the side of this too, where I think the problem is that they're not defending this. Like, this is this dude's present. That's my problem. Like, these comments were yeah. too soon. I think for us to be sitting here saying he shouldn't have been fired. This is who he is currently. And and he clearly hasn't learned from it. That's my thing is that's how recent it was. The other thing, you know, uh, uh, Melissa, uh, there was another SNL cast member, Melissa via. I just Uh, had, yes, I I know. Just looked at it. Yes. I know who you're talking about. I do. Via Fonesor, I think is what her name is. Um, she's the first SNL, to first uh, Catherine who's Latina or Latinx, and um, via Senor, it, it really it was in, via Senor. Thank you. Um, and uh, she had a bunch of tweets that were, you know, in her past, and they and they were in her past. Trevor Noah had this when he took over. You know, they had uh, a bunch of people that that's oh he tweeted in his past. It was all this thing, and I look back. James Gunn, you know, again another perfect example. You know, another name we keep bringing up. You know, these really were in the past, and even in that sh- that 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 show, they bring up you know SNL's past with with Asians, how they said offensive things. And it's like, yes, I get that, but and it's not right that it was said back then. But people didn't understand it wasn't okay to say mm-hmm. it. Well, and here's here's honestly, now you can argue like, oh, they should have known. Yeah, they should have. But this is this the the last I would say five years are when we are finally actually putting action to the hurt that people feel from saying that, and I think it's important for us to recognize that in the eighties they did that because they thought it was okay. Yeah, and now people are we don't say Oriental anymore. Why? Because people of Asian descent said that's we don't like that term. It it's it's degrading. It's this, that, and the other. So we don't say it anymore, right? We have it maybe on on you know companies that you know that's a flavor of food or something, but we don't say it anymore because now we mm-hmm. get oh okay, this is offensive. This hurts. We don't want to do that. Yeah. Well, and here's here's the reality of Twitter. Uh, was it the the Library of Congress was was archiving them up until like 2013? All tweets. 
as historical record and then it got like way too big basically and they couldn't track it all anymore anything that's been tweeted before 2013 can be found and dug up regardless of whether you delete it or not so at this point like if there is something in your past that you've said it's better for it's it's almost in my opinion better to just draw attention to it and apologize now (laughs) and like get ahead of someone else finding it because someone will find it okay now that i've gotten hired just want to make you aware of a and few things. And that's why I wouldn't even do, th- like, that's what I'm saying, like, do it now. Um, I'm tempted to crawl through my own, but I barely used Twitter in in um, in high school, and I never used it really in college. Um, well, and honestly, I my response, and I go back to my response would always be if someone were to pull something up and go, wow, I you, honestly, I don't even remember saying that. I don't know the context where I said it in, but that's mm-hmm. not okay. And you're absolutely right. And I... I what's what's it? I uh, uh, revoke myself. You know, I find myself in contempt for saying that, um, and I hope that I've grown as a person. So you know, it really has to be this real yeah. sense of apology. And we talked about you know what apologies are, but I think the bigger thing more than anything else is this idea of, and this is the person that I, I think we really need to focus on here is the person who combs back through the Twitter. And this is the thing that I think Andrew Yang was bringing up. And even some, you know, the, the, the two guys, Bill Burr and Jim Jeffries on the, on the show, someone combed through and found the negative stuff. That person, I think it's, it's good, but I think we need to be very careful when we're doing that. And I think the reason for that, um, is because yes, now, now, granted, it's again, in Chingle's case, yes. this was last year. It's because, yes. It's last year. But yes, we do need to hold people accountable, <laughs> because yes, we do need to hold people accountable um, for things they said in their past. But at the same time, what we don't realize is how quickly we can absolutely destroy someone's life. Um, this is the this is the big knock on Star Wars fans. I go, I, I like Star Trek. I would consider myself not a Trekkie only because Star Wars is my first love, and that's the one that I, I you know, I go back to, I buy the books, I do all that. Um, but I go, I, I honestly, a lot of times I can't stand Star Wars fans, even being one of them, because I, you know, the difference between Star Trek fans in the majority and Star Wars fans in the majority is Star Trek fans will stab you defending the characters on the show, even the bad ones, even the, the dumb movies that should not have been made, they will, they will fight you physically. Uh, you know, and die on the hill that this is the greatest thing ever. Star Wars fans will stab you for saying the character they do not like is good. Um, and they, you know, I, I, it's amazing to me how many people have absolutely had their careers ruined by Star Wars fans. But it's not just one person. And that's the thing people don't realize is there are three million others that you might incite to the same thing. You were talking about Andrew Yang inciting, you know, this mob. And I go, that's the problem that I see a lot of times is that we incite these mobs without even realizing it. Yeah. Well, and to, and, and to be clear, I, I said he didn't incite the mob, but yes. Um, yeah, no, no, no. But that's yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah, you were talking it's, about it's so good. He didn't do that because it, it easily it becomes, can. And death yes, by a thousand cuts is a real death thing. by a thousand paper cuts or a thousand cuts. And, the, and, and that's the issue. The issue isn't that one person did something. It's the, the issue is that like, it, it's how everything compounds and builds into something way much, or you know, much bigger than than it started out as. And now Shane, granted, deserves 
deserves to lose the opportunity, especially because of the attitude he's had afterward. Um, he didn't even make an attempt at an apology. And it does bother me that now he's going to be able to meet with Andrew Yang. Like, I feel like this really has lost, like, launched his career into even more than it was. Um, and that does bother me because at the end of the day, a entire people group has been, an ethnic group has been insulted. And on top of that, there were other issues that, or there were other things he said that were harmful to LGBTQ plus and harmful to, um, women. And, um, I also, I think, um, obese people as well, but I could be wrong on that one. Um, I don't have like the article in front of me that like listed everything out, but there was quite a few things almost within the same episode, uh, that he made fun of. And, um, now we're sitting here talking about him like, and, and he's going to be going, he's going to be meeting with Andrew Yang and the rest of it. And like, here's the thing in, in my opinion, his opinion, his career was going to be launched one way or the other from this. And I think we're seeing the negative side of it. I, I do think we lost an opportunity to see him seek some redemption and use the platform he would gain, who would have gained with SNL to actually, you know, do some real good for the communities that he offended. Um, but I, I, and I mean, I, I think he, he did a little bit of that to himself. Yeah, no, to be no, no fair. absolutely. But I, I agree with you. Yeah. Is what was the motivation for him to do that? Other I than, think he's doubling down. Now. It sounds horrible. Other than self. Yeah. Other than self, you know, and being a good person, yeah, he's just doubling down. Uh, <laughs> you know, what is the motivation? I'm already been fired. I've already lost out on this opportunity. You're not even giving me a chance to prove myself. So, you know, screw all of you guys. But at the same time, I mean, I, th- I think his character came out, yeah, based on the statements that he made, um, realizing, oh, instead of even just, and I always go back to this, how how hard is it just to say, man, I, I didn't realize it would hurt people that much or in that way, yeah, you know what I mean? Like I, I, you know, and we tried to say in in the thing that hey, you know, this is the way that other people think about us, and. And, and very ignorant statements were made in the whole, I, yeah. a lot of ignorance came out in that episode. And quite, quite honestly, in the episodes that I listened to, granted, I didn't listen to all of them, the episodes and all of the episodes they have. But at the same time, I was like, as an archaeologist, you can get a general survey of an idea. And I was like, the surveys I had all came up the same. Like these, these are just, they say mean and hurtful things to, to get laughs out of mm-hmm. bros. And that's the, that's, the sense I got from the research that I did, limited though it was, and that's the thing is like he did this a little bit to himself, and and at the same time that does not exclude us from accountability to ourselves. And I think that's yeah. the thing that bu- that bugs me is while it might have been good in this case and needed in this case, did we learn yeah. the lesson? He might not have. Well, and, but okay, did we? so. One of the things that I've talked about a lot on this podcast is how I feel like we're in the middle of a reformation in the church because we are now seeing the the power of the individual now being amplified by social media. And the problem is uh, very much now uh, death by, by a thousand paper cuts or death by a thousand cuts, right? So you had pointed out this article to me from August of 2018, so about a year, a little over a year ago. Um, where someone talks about the idea of harmless torturers, and this is based off of uh, a Derek Parfit, I think he's or Parfit. I, don't, I, I, think, I think it's, it's Parfit. Yeah, yeah. Either way, yeah. Um, British philosopher died in 2017, and in 1986 released a study um, about harmless. It called, uh, I forget what exactly it was called, but it was the harmless torturer. 
And what he wanted to know and, and decide was what are the ethics or, or you know, what, what, is, what determines how wrong something is objectively? Um, is it just the consequences of the action? And so what he did was he, he, he created a scenario. This is the scenario. So there is a dial in front of you, and if you turn it, a stranger who is in mild pain from being shocked will experience a tiny increase in the amount of the shock, so slight that he doesn't even notice it. You turn it and leave. And then hundreds of people go up to the dial and each also turns it, so that eventually the victim is screaming in agony. Did you do anything wrong? This, call, this is what is known as the case of the harmless torturer, right? The idea that you individually didn't do anything wrong. In fact, you did something that the person didn't even perceive on their own, nor do they know that you're the one who did it. And yet, um, so the question becomes, is it wrong because you were, because um, what you did was, you know, was it right because what you did wasn't, was harmless? Or is it actually wrong because, or, or does it become wrong because of the hundreds or thousands of other people who've now joined in and turned up that dial just yeah. a tiny bit? What, yeah. What's the, when did, when, when, when does it cross the line to being wrong? Mm-hmm. Is it with the first guy or is it when the person starts feeling pain, when it sustained pain? Like wh- where's the line is basically what I was trying to say. Yeah. And this is, this is what, 1986. So this is before. Um, we really had any real social test of this idea, and I think social media then primed the pump, so to speak, and and was able to now, now we have a proof of concept. It's amazing to me how far ahead of its time it was, because, like, honestly, when I first read, I, I skipped over the 1986. I missed that the first time I read through this article. Uh, I'm taking it for a class. And uh, the, the next time I read through it, um, because I thought he was talking about Twitter. Like, I thought this was about Twitter. Mm. Like, I literally thought this was what it was about, or social media. And, you know, Twitter in particular, but, you know, this could be Snapchat, this could be, you know, YouTube comments, anything. And what was f- just fascinating to me was when I went back, I'm like, oh, this is, you know, arguably seven years before the internet really takes yeah. off. This is, yeah. You know? And way before social media. This is, this is, oh, yeah. This is, you know. <laughs> it's just amazing to me when you think about what 1980 like this is that's that's back when stranger things is supposed to happen you know this is almost ancient history as far as technology is concerned and yet he was able to predict yeah. that or if not predict it just happened to you know to to recognize something that would end up coming up and and it really is accurate i, I you know the scenario, it sounds crazy, I was thinking, but did, did, did you talk about the, the other scenario where it's thousands of people turning thousands of dials? No, I didn't. I didn't bring that one up. Yeah, okay. So there's a, a second scenario that he talks about where um, you turn one dial, but uh, there are a thousand people also turning a dial, and you don't know whether a thousand people are... Oh, no, sorry, sorry, sorry. You're turning your dial a thousand times, and you don't know whether you're hitting one person a thousand times or a thousand, pers- thousand people one time. But you also know there are a thousand other people also turning their dials a thousand times. So basically, everyone is do- there's a thousand people doing the same thing, and you don't know whether it's to one person or to a thousand people, and you don't know whether your one thing is hitting someone once or a thousand times. Yeah. When does it make it right, and when does it make it so wrong? So the idea of this, this is about as faceless and nameless and anonymous as 
you seeing a tweet show up with 280,000 retweets or likes, right? Like this is, that's very much what that is. Um, and, and I would almost even go further to say, imagine if Twitter was Yik Yak, you know what I mean? And there was that veil of anonymity yeah. versus on Twitter. It's still like, for the most part, you can track someone on Twitter. There are a few anonymous accounts. Yeah. But for the most part, you kind of know. So, so Paul Bloom and Matthew Jordan are the authors of this article. And one of the things they, they go into then is they say, when we think of the savagery of social media, we often think of the awful individual behavior, death threats and rape threats, the release of personal information, including home addresses and the locations of the victim's children, vicious lies and the like. Doxing, yeah, so doxing. Yeah. Harmless torturers never go that far. We just like, retweet and add the occasional clever remark. But there are millions of us, and we're all turning the dial. Um, and that's, that's, that's really significant, right? It, it is very easy to just hit the like button or the retweet button and move on with your day, having forgot you ever did that. And the problem is that your one like or retweet, or my one like or retweet, didn't end someone's career, necessarily. But what it does mean is that, collectively, it just might. For someone whose career doesn't necessarily deserve to end. I don't know of many people. In fact, I've never really heard since since Trevor Noah got picked up and his uh, his old tweets originally came up. I don't hear anyone else still calling for his job anymore. Um, and uh, most people don't even realize that would happen. And if someone did call for his job, people would be like, "What are you doing? No, we already went over this." Yeah, they've they've clearly seen. Well, I think beyond that, I think the whole body of his work has yeah. come out, and they realize th this really was some stuff that you know, was just irresponsibly said and not, and not indicative of, you know, the whole person. Yeah. The, the, the problem, I, yeah. So I think the problem becomes when you only think of your own actions, you're not, um, you, you, you have every right to like and retweet and do whatever. And the, the, the question becomes when you think about it, that within the collective body, what do you want the consequences or what do you want the results of your liking that tweet or retweeting that tweet to be? Because at this point, a viral tweet is enough to ruin someone. Like that just period. At this point, a viral yeah. tweet is, an, yep. can, is enough to ruin someone. That's not a hundred percent of the time. Really Otherwise is. Trump, there's no way Trump would be where he is, but in, in very many ways, but it is, yeah. it is possible. Um, yeah. Yeah. And in, yeah. So, um, but and then there's this, right? So then they go on to say there's also a sort of go well, ahead. I, You're fun. You know, it, it, it's it's and I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but it's the Instagram user who accidentally posted a video of her hitting her dog, um, on on either Instagram or Facebook or something like that. You know, some social media device, and and now she's in jail mm -hmm. for for uh, pet abuse, you know, animal abuse. Not saying she should or should not have gone. I'm just saying it. One short clip showing, and that was all yeah. it took. And now she's in jail. It's not just, oh, she's, I mean, she has a record now. Yeah. Yeah, well, okay. So they continue. They say there's also a sort of social credit that comes along with being seen as a moralistic punisher. We want to show off our goodness to others to signal our virtue. We are more likely to punish when others are watching, and there's evidence that third parties think more highly of and are more likely to later trust those who punish bad actors versus those who sit back and do nothing. True 100% of the way. I am much more likely to do something when people are watching. Just 
just plain old facts. In fact, there are times, even on this podcast, where I have talked about something specifically because I know people are watching, and um, or I've said something I wouldn't normally say because I know I have a duty to because people have listened to me in the past, right? The pressure of knowing eyes are on you definitely impacts your behavior. Um, but I think yeah. this is the, the last two things that I'm, I want to point out from this article are the most poignant, in my opinion. Um, so I'll read the first one. Uh, they say, but isn't this death by a thousand cuts a good thing? If it were Hitler, wouldn't you be right to let him have it? Yes. But the problem is that when we are infused with moral outrage, acting as part of a crowd and operating in a virtual world with no fixed system of evaluation, laws, or justice, all our enemies are Hitler. There can easily be, as Ronson puts it, a disconnect between the severity of the crime and the gleeful savagery of the punishment. And that's the problem. Yep. Mob justice via Twitter pretty much always ends with the same result, regardless of what the crime was. I, I remember reading this incredible article about this young lady that uh, ironically is Latinx, uh, but she's white passing and she was working, I think, I believe it was at a Chipotle and these young men of color came in, recorded her either kicking them out or saying that they, they couldn't be here anymore. And these social justice warriors just got on and said, this is it. It's it. And they caused her to get fired and she was getting doxxed and hate threats and all this different stuff. And then all of a sudden, someone went in and did a little research and found out that these gentlemen had been banned because they had dine and dashed, had come in and caused problems. They'd been, they, they were known at the particular restaurant for causing issues. And she was the assistant manager and was basically saying, you guys need to go. It had nothing to do with their race, had nothing to do with their age, had everything to do with those individuals were not good people and they had caused problems and they had caused Chipotle to lose business and for the respect of the other customer. So these people went on this long self-righteous journey and it turns out they ruined someone's yeah. life. Or you've got Chris and the, and the, and it was, and they were the, the, the good person in that situation. They were doing the right thing, Yeah. but, but that doesn't change. And, and in the article it talks about that, I, you know, that social media, you know, that, that justice warrior, that, that woke person that, Oh, you know, I'm, I, I know what's up. And then all of a sudden they, they get that rush of gleefully defending the the which hey look i'm all about defending the people who are under oppression and need help except that they went off half cocked they weren't paying attention they got a rush from it yeah yeah <laughs> but then they ended up doing way more well, look damage at the, the the boston bomber read it the day in the day after the day of and the day after the boston bomber the reddit detectives came out of the woodwork so reddit um, whenever this happens, whenever something like the Boston bombing happens and there's a lot of footage or publicly available footage, whatever, um, all the Reddit detectives, they, they create a subreddit. The Reddit detectives, like, that's just a self-described term. Like, that's not, there's no official Reddit detectives. It's just Redditors who, who want to take matters into their own hands and People help the police. on the internet yeah. who, yeah. Who, who need yep. to feel important. So they go in and they try and analyze all this stuff and they find these people and they end up exposing two guys um, that were, I don't even remember if the two guys they exposed were there, but basically they doxxed two guys who literally had nothing to do with the crime at all. They ruined 
two guys' lives who didn't do anything just because they they wanted the rush of solving the crime and getting whatever sort of vigilante justice they could find. And the, and, and the authorities weren't being smart about it and they weren't yeah. responding fast enough so they decided to so i would actually edit this. what ronson ronson's quote instead of saying a disconnect between the severity of the crime and the gleeful savagery of the punishment i would say disconnect between the legitimacy of the crime uh and the gleeful savagery of the punishment yeah. um because yeah. well, no one committed I, a crime I, in the boston bombing thing like like the two guys that ended up getting you know uh have having their lives doxed yep. over it and, and this is why one of the things that i i I've done it a couple times and I, and I always try to catch myself whenever there is a, you know, this person, you know, cussed my sister out on, on whatever, do it, Twitter fam, whenever there's one of those things, right. And it's a person and it's their thing. Um, I try not to, I try not to forward that until I know more about the situation. And if nothing ever comes up, I try, I legitimately try not to, um, not because I don't think it's important that that situation get handled, but because I don't have enough information to know whether or not that person a deserves it, b, um, or even the the you know what I mean the that the person who posted that might have good intentions, and and it might need to be stopped, but that might not be the right person. They might not be videoing the correct person. Yeah, you know what I mean, or photographing or whatever. Um. You know, every once in a while, if I'm close to a situation, I've had a few where I know I'm like, oh, nope, this is definitely the person. I know the situation. I know the person that's putting this or, or you know, I'm fairly certain about it. I'm okay with that. And and I think it's a great tool to use, but I feel like sometimes we're just, you know, we're the magician's assistant and we're just playing with the hat. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like we, we just put on the... <laughs> those of you who don't know i'm referencing fantasia and mickey plays this this uh wizard's assistant and he puts on the hat to try to um you know clean faster and and doesn't realize what he's doing and ends up creating a giant mess until the wizard comes in and and fixes it but it's that kind of thing where you know (laughs) i think a lot of times that's what we do is we have this incredibly powerful system you know and and we just hand it irresponsibly immaturely and completely and once again neither of us are Um, saying and and i think it's important that we neither of us are saying oh yeah like like the shane look to be clear i should have said this 45 minutes earlier the shane gillis thing is just a launch pad for this conversation but we we actually agree with the fact that shane should have lost his job for this one 100 percent. oh yeah because i'm 100 like in any way shape or form if snl had found those uh, after they hired him, they probably would have fired him anyway. If if my if if my work had found those statements, they would have fired me, right? Like this isn't, and rightfully and, so. And, and if they if they did know, shame on SNL. Yes, right, because they have they do have a history of being insensitive, so they should be that much more sensitive. As a Californian, I was very offended at the California sketch, regardless of how accurate it was. I'm joking, but. They really do have a history of making fun yeah. of minorities, and it's like, dude, you should be way more, way yeah. more intentional. Well, and, and the one thing I want to know when, when Jim Jeffries and Bill Burr talked about those old skits from SNL, I want to know how old they were because they referenced Mike Myers at one point. Oh, J- J- Jim Belushi yeah. is from the so original yeah. one. That's it's 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 the uh, it's the uh, uh, yeah sushi samurai. Yeah. 
And and by the way, that wasn't an offensive sketch. I've talked to Asian. Well, that's like saying my best friend was black. I've asked Asian people. I'm like, hey, is that sketch offensive? And they were like, no, it's not. It's not meant to be offensive at all. It's this, you know, it's the well, concept and, of that. The one about the Japanese, that yeah. one is, well, is okay, but it's like yeah, saying that Mad Men is not offensive. okay. Mad Men is very much a product yeah, of, its, it's of, like, of like the time it's trying to portray of its and, time. And, yeah, I mean, they do one called Taco Hole where yeah. they just make fun of Mexicans the whole time, and I'm like, dude, it's Hispanic. That's not okay. I get that it is very funny and it's very accurate to a degree. I mean, I don't even see the Japanese game show one. It's obviously making an, ex- uh, you know, it's going a little crazy. But if you've ever seen Japanese game shows, they literally torture people sometimes. Like one guy is forced to mail out, you know, he literally lives in a box and just mails out and eats whatever comes to him yeah. from the mail. You know what I mean? So they do have kind of these in Western sensibilities, crazy, you know, game shows. But even then it's like, that was a product of that time. and. For Shane Gillis to say it in 2018, because it wasn't like he said it in 2009, like he said in 2008, he said it in 2018. Yeah. No, I, I, yeah. It's like, no, I, I agree. So, okay, last quote. Um, and, and I will say this, and I will say this before, sorry, I, I just, there does need to be punitive response to, to actions that we no longer consider, uh, acceptable how much that is and who delivers it is the issue that i think we need to talk about because i don't think it's okay to continue saying those things and i think james gunn said some very offensive things and and but the response of the people who delivers it and and how much is delivered i think is what we need to be very careful because i think that's the problem is all of us turn our dial just a little bit because we say oh well he just needs to be punished or she just needs to be punished this much, but it, when everyone punishes "quote unquote" this much, it ends up being much, much more, and that's the thing that we need to be careful of. So the last quote from the New York Times article, uh, he says the writer Julian Sanchez, a, C- a senior fellow at the Libertarian Cato Institute, has used the parfeet example in a discussion of behaviors like whistling at women on the street or jokingly using offensive language. He points out that a typical response to criticism of such behaviors is denial. Many feel that there are no bad intentions in these actions, and nobody is hurt by them. But even if this is true for certain individual actions, this, this situation changes when we consider them in the aggregate, happening over and over and over again a thousand times from a thousand different people. Their impact becomes more clear. And I think that's the big lesson, is, is like out of everything here, when I'm responding to something that's happened online... I need to ask myself the question, what happens with my action in aggregate? Because now we live in a, in a very much a society of aggregate. Where, what happens when, if, if the entire collective now becomes me or, or, or accepts my opinion on this, what actually happens here? And, and can do so yes. so quickly because we have the technology to make that happen within a matter of Yo, days. Uber, Uber, got, Uber got taken yeah. over by Lyft as the... Um, in, in, in the stock market uh, several years ago, um, based on one action, they lost, they, when everyone else was boycotting JFK, I believe it was JFK airport, um, because they were, there's a bunch of immigrants that were either going to be, I don't remember the exact thing, but everyone was basically boycotting and not going to pick up anyone because of the risk of people getting arrested or deported or one of the two. So they, so all ride shares, all taxis, everyone was like, nope, not going to do it. Well, Uber said, yeah, we're going to do it. 
we're going to keep going and we're going to keep our doors open. We're going to get all the money in the world for this. Like this is a huge business opportunity for us. So Uber didn't join that boycott. Within 30 minutes, the, the hashtag boycott Uber was trending around the nation. And for the first time in its history, Uber got overtaken in the stock market by Lyft and has never taken back the lead since. It takes 30 minutes for a company to lose its place in the, in, in the marketplace. Um, now, how do you imagine that for people and what that actually looks like for people? Um, I do think we have a responsibility now, an ethical and moral responsibility to consider our actions in the aggregate. And look, at the end of the day, this is, I think this is actually what annoys me the most. And it's not about Shane, but this is about, um, this is about a lot of the other stuff that happens. Literally all of us have said something inappropriate at some point for whatever reason. I don't know of a single person who hasn't. Heck, I have friends who teach second grade and they've had to confiscate phones and kids have gotten suspended for sexting in second grade. What are we going to do when the kid's 30? We're going to find out that they sexted in second grade when they didn't know any better and we're going to take their job away? Or we're going to make sure their life is completely ruined? Like, that's the problem is everyone has done something. And for some reason, we'll give ourselves the pass. But man, that other person, nope, there's no way that they could have meant it as innocently as I meant my thing. Um, I, that's the, like, I doubt anyone would want their phone to just be able to be scrolled through endlessly by Twitter. <laughs> um, and gets like that. Bernie Sanders fair. would. Um, fair enough. But this is, <laughs> this is, that's the problem is that like everyone has something bad. And I think we need to slow down before yeah. we, before we sit here on a, on a moral high horse as if we're so much better simply because we said our thing without a platform. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think the pendulum has swung a little too far. I think it will come back to the middle, but this is the way we do it is by having conversations yeah. about this and by saying, you know, we need to be very careful. I mean, I, I know so many people on, on various social media platforms that are these social justice warriors and, you know, Hey, good for you. I'm glad that, that, you know, you're woke, which we could have a whole thing talking about woke culture. I'm, I'm glad that you're aware of these issues and that you want to make a difference. But overcompensating can cause just as much damage as undercompensating. Yeah. And I'm not saying don't say anything. I'm saying be responsible. Yeah, are we looking for be responsible? Uh, retributive justice or are we looking for restorative justice? And for me. And, yeah. and is, it, is it about you yeah. feeling good? And that's the other thing. Examine your own motivations. Am I tweeting this out because I want people to be safe? Am I tweeting this out because I want to try to make a difference? Or am I tweeting this out because I want to feel yeah. good about myself? And screw that yeah. guy or yeah. that no, girl. Absolutely. Um, and, and, and I think and, my entire feelings on this matter were summed up. I, I looked up an article about Trevor Noah because I didn't even know about the Trevor Noah thing until we were until I was researching for this episode. And um, back in 2015, this 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 kind of came out. Uh, and one Twitter user, in response to all of Trevor Noah's tweets going, you know, being dug up, basically said this, and this is how I feel. And this is how I kind of want to handle stuff like this from now on in my own kind of way. Um, one Twitter user said, I'm not concerned if Trevor Noah made fat jokes five years ago. I just hope he has learned to raise the bar since then. And that's kind of the, the general idea. I, I don't think this was like super eloquently put. Um, I, I hope he has become a different person since then. I hope he has you know, realized that that was not okay. Whatever. Any number of things. And, 
and I do yeah, care. Yeah, and that I he do said care it. that he said but, it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a matter of are we uh, are we willing to let people have a past, um, or are we willing to allow some someone the same grace for their past that we would want for ours, and assuming that they're willing to also admit that yes, it is a past, it was wrong, whatever. This is why Shane is the exception to all of this, and, even though he's the launching pad for the conversation as a whole. Exactly. And I think that that concept of keeping things, considering the aggregate, considering, you know, uh, Emmanuel Kant has a great way of viewing ethics. If everyone acted the way I'm about to act, what would happen? Right. Stealing is bad because if everyone just stole, it would be, ca- ca- you know, anarchy and chaos. Well, anarchy is, a, it would just be chaos. Right. Um, if everyone was just killing everyone, right? I don't murder because, you know, what would it look like if everyone did this? Now, the problem is you can't do that for every decision you make, right? And sometimes you just react by instinct, but you can still say ah, that probably wasn't good because if everyone acted this way. So you have to ask it on both sides of the question here. If everyone talked the way that Shane Gillis talked, which there's an argument to be made that that is how they talk. But if everyone did that, and by the way, they, they called out Asian cultures for saying, oh, I bet they feel the same way about white people. Okay, what does that have to do with anything? Yeah. Is that that it's okay? No. If you think that that's not okay for them, and clearly, that, again, what they were saying was, well, it's okay because they do it. It's okay because they do it. Um, they even talked about how these other countries are racist, and they're like, oh, they try to change this, it's prejudice, and it's not the same. Like, it's the same thing. I'm like, so what, are you trying to argue that racism okay because everyone does it? No, that's not okay. And if we're, I'd rather be the first people to figure it out than the last ones. Um, not that we are, and not that we, you know, will we'll be the last ones, uh, but at the same time, you have to consider how everyone else is reacting to it. If everyone talked the way that Shane and his friend talked, how would we react? If everybody was allowed to continue and, and get positions of power mm-hmm. and authority saying those types of things, what's going to happen? I mean, I think what we're seeing, oh, I won't say that. I, I think there are some very public examples of what happens when we do that. Yeah. Um, and I think, and I think look, at, look at the sum total of what's, come out of that and you can see uh the results of what happens when we allow that to happen and it's it's if we continue to allow people to speak in a hateful manner all you're going to get is hate if you continue to do these things so there has to be but at the same time you need to take that or be and flip and go if everybody and and again this is what andrew yang was trying to say if everyone flips out because a comedian says something that hurts someone we will be, you know, there, there can't be any progress. So I think we need to be a little bit more careful about this um, and let people grow. And, and so to me, I think it's the same idea of, you know, I need to act considering how everybody else is going to act. And if I don't turn that dial, let me at least pass the baton and make sure that, let me make sure that someone is turning the dial to the appropriate amount that it needs to be turned. But I'm not going to turn that myself until I'm sure. Well, and this is, Ultimately, I think it does come down to mindfulness of thinking before you react and being control in control of what your reaction is. I do think this comes down to the, the yeah, practice of mindfulness and, and kind of slowing down a bit. Um, but ultimately, like, here's the thing. Let's say all this Shane Gillis stuff uh, turns out someone framed him over all of it. Uh, hypothetically. No one, not a single person is going to be like, oh, I shouldn't have liked that tweet about this. No one ever thinks that. 
that's the thing like until we until we can recognize that our part in turning the dial was one of, like our turning of the dial was a, was a cut um like we need to understand the significance of how our tiny actions uh, play a role in the, in the in the aggregate and so um i would kind of invite everyone to and and i and i'm going to practice this myself to really think about what i'm doing and how i'm responding to things on social media and in in my own life and i really do want to make it a practice of um, doing what we did before social media, which is like having to talk to the community around us, like our friends and our families, uh, before we could share something online. Because it used to be that you had to process in private and share in public. And now what we do is we process and share in public. Um, you had to work to put something on the yes. internet back in the day. And, yeah. Now it's, it's literally like it's it's your brain through your Beep. fingers to, yes. Uh, to the to the internet, I can almost think it. I can reply from my yeah. watch, like I can literally just reply. Boy, that looks stupid, and send it. And oh, Gary wants to send that now. Um, but at, at the same time, it's like I can literally take as as little time as seeing it and responding right back yep. to my watch. So I don't even have to type into it now, and that and it, it, mm-hmm. it's just that awareness of. You're grabbing the magician's head. Good luck. And with I need, that. and we need to practice this. Like, like for me specifically, I need to practice this in times when I'm not outraged too. Because a lot of times I'll re- I'll respond to something funny or with some joke, and then um, five seconds later I go, "Oh, why did I say that? I should have said this." Like, just in my own life in general, regardless of what the situation is, I just need I've, to slow down. There's no need. I've I've my Twitter uh, uh, draft box. As it's, I think it's got like over 30 because I do that. You know what I mean? Like I'll be in the middle of sending something and I'll just be like, ah, let me, let me delete this. Take even five, 10 minutes or a day and then come back to it. And I come back and I'm like, oh no, that was not at all appropriate or okay. And I, and I will a hundred percent admit I've deleted Facebook posts and tweets um, because I reacted in emotion. Mm-hmm. And someone who had, uh, you know, who A, had their eye out for me, and B, you know, w- w- cared enough to pay attention, they said to me, like, ah, uh, that's not it. Like, that, you know, you should probably not yeah. say that. And and gave me that, that forced perspective to be like, ah, okay, you know, you're right, you're right, you're right. Um, and thank God for that. And I feel bad for people who don't have that. And, you know, I've had to apologize to people in person for things I've said on this podcast. Um, yeah, I mean, not, not in the sense of, I, I didn't, I would have issued a public retraction had I thought what I said was wrong, but I've had to say like, oh, you know what? I'm so sorry that that's the way that it came across. This is what we were trying to put there. Um, and once, once they understood that, of course, you know, everything worked out fine. Otherwise I would have, you know, made something public, but it's like, I've, I've had to say, I, Really sorry about yeah. that. That's not what we were trying to do. Like well, this is where and, we were going with that. And there are oh, times okay. where someone will respond to something negatively because of their own negative experiences, and those negative experiences color their reaction. Yeah. And no amount of explaining is going to change Which that. Is even, even, even more so. Why we should be so careful what we what we turn into because we don't know the person who's posting that. You you know the op might might have you know. Yeah. It, it's it's like I can't remember the situation, but there was a time when people were like forwarding this article only to find out that like the original piece came from like a like a like a Aryan Nation website, and people were like, "Oh shoot, I didn't realize like that's what it was about." But it was it was something about how like you 
It was similar to like, you can't say anything anymore or that, you know, it wasn't even like the, oh, look at what America has become. It, 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 it on the surface seemed like a very um, innocuous article kind of complaining about millennial culture. And then all of a sudden people realized like, oh no, you're, you're definitely like spreading Nazi propaganda. And they're like, wait, what? And it's like, yeah, no, that's, that's what these people are trying to do. And so all of a sudden people started retracting, but it's like, <laughs> it's already shared. Like people have already seen that. Yep. You, you know what I mean? That's the memory. It's seared in people's memory. Just take a second. Think about what's going to happen. Think about the, the, the what's the context behind mm-hmm. this. Absolutely. You know? So I think we're running this into the ground. We're going to be repeating ourselves if we go any further at this point. Um, and, and furthermore, furthermore I, it would be, it would be, it would be, it would bag credulity. You, you know what's a bunch continue. of hooey? Have you heard about this Shane Gillis stuff at SNL? Insane. <laughs> You know what? Yeah, we, should we should talk about on that. a future episode. Let's pause yeah. our current conversation. <laughs> hey, thank you guys so much for listening, for being a part of this journey with us. Um, and thank you all for the feedback on recent episodes. That's actually helping us a lot as we move forward. And and um, so yes. thank you to those of you who've reached out to us and are continuing to reach out to us. Um, we're going to keep moving forward and, and getting better as we go. So um, thank you guys so much for being a part of this journey. We have some big announcements coming soon. So uh, stay tuned for that in the next uh, in the next few episodes. There will be some big announcements dropping. Uh, hey, we love you guys. Thank you so much. We'll see you next time. Today's episode of Absurdity is sponsored by The Haystack. The Haystack is a voice for young adults in the Seventh-day Adventist Church that produces articles, music reviews, videos, and more. To check them out, go to www.thehaystack.org. The Haystack. Life. Culture. Theology.